This is Wills Mack, and I'm a Canadian writer living in Los Angeles, and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web. And by Final Draft Script Writing Software, the entertainment industry standard for script writing worldwide. My name's Gray Jones, and I want to welcome you to the TV Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine, episode 15 for Monday, March 28th, 2011. Today, I'm so excited to bridge the gap between Canada and the United States because I'm talking with Los Angeles-based Canadian TV and feature writer-producer Wills Mack. We'll get to Will's interview in a, in a moment, but first I want to talk to you about a few things. One of them is your homework. Now, it's getting pretty close to my interview with Ellen Sandler, writer of the TV Writer's Workbook, but there's still time to buy the book if you want to read it before the interview comes out. So the interview will be released on April 4th. The TV Writer's Workbook by Ellen Sandler is an excellent, excellent book on TV writing. I highly, highly recommend it. And uh, so I will be speaking to Ellen later this week and releasing that interview on April 4th. It would be great if you could read that before the interview so that you can be informed and have a little context for the things that she talks about. Uh, you can email your questions if you have read the book to mail at tvwriterpodcast.com and I would be happy to include them in the interview. Uh, if you're on Twitter, you can follow me at Gray Jones is my handle. I would encourage you to do so and then you can find out about the interviews that are coming up and how to get your questions answered. If you'd like to just find out more about me, you can go to tvwriterpodcast.com and click the about link and uh, look about the host and you can also find me on IMDb imdb.me slash Jones. Also, if you are at the tvwriterpodcast.com site, I'm very proud to announce that the TV Writer Twitter database has now hit 500 TV writers, and it continues to climb. So make sure you're availing yourself of that resource. There's even handy links that you can just follow everybody on the list. I've had to split it into two lists now. There's part one and part two. Part one is full with 500 writers, or 499, I guess. And then uh, part two will continue to fill, and you can follow them all easily just by clicking that link and clicking follow. So if you are on Twitter, it's a great, great way to connect with a whole pile of writers. If you're on Facebook, you can find me, facebook.com slash Graham A. Jones. That's G-R-A-H-A-M-A-J-O-N-E-S. And if you do want to connect on Facebook, I'd love to. But uh, make sure that you include a message just letting me know how you found me. And uh, as as long as I know that you found me through a legitimate means and you're not a spammer, I'd be happy to connect. <laughs> but... Um, this podcast has been brought to you by the Toronto Screenwriting Conference, which is coming up fast, April 9th and 10th, and uh, have a little sponsor message for you. On April 9th and 10th, the Toronto Screenwriting Conference will host award-winning writers, executive producers, and best-selling authors all under one roof. It offers unprecedented education through masterclasses and breakout sessions with high-profile speakers from film and TV. Speakers include Leonard Dick from The Good Wife and House, Christine Zander of Raising Hope and Nurse Jackie, and Christopher Vogler, author of the best-selling book The Writer's Journey, as well as many more. For more information and to register, check out www.tsc.org. 
Also, a special announcement. I wanted to express great gratitude because late last week, after recording my interview with Will's Mac, a very, very important, expensive audio device that I use for the podcasting just fried. Literally, it went up in smoke. Within hours, hundreds of dollars of donations came in, and I'm so, so thankful for the people who donated. And literally that day, I was able to go out and get a replacement device. So thanks so much if you did donate. And I do want to take this time to mention that my partnership with Script Magazine is a creative partnership, but it's not a financial one. So far, all the expenses of the podcast have been coming out of my own pocket. If you didn't get a chance to donate and you would like to donate, there still are many other expenses like hosting, bandwidth. Also, I use a, a laptop very heavily for podcasting, and that laptop died with a, a fried motherboard as well. So uh, I would ask that you would consider the value that you've received from these exclusive interviews with working writers. And if you are grateful for that and you have a bit to spare, I would appreciate donations. You, you can just go to tvwriterpodcast.com and find out more about how you can do that. Or if you have a product you'd like to advertise, you can also contact me about that as well. Send an email to mail at tvwriter podcast.com. But now I want to give a little bio about Los Angeles-based Canadian TV and feature writer-producer Wills Mack. Will has won the Writers Guild of Canada Best Feature Screenplay Award, the Best Screenplay Award at the Phoenix International Horror and Sci-Fi Film Festival, and the Audience Award for Best Screenplay at the Fantastic Film Fest in Austin, Texas. His feature film, The Dark Hours, has won 15 awards at international festivals, including seven for Best Feature. Will has worked as a writer, producer, and story editor on several Canadian television series, including The Listener uh, for CTV and Fox International, The Aladdin Project for CTV, Stone Undercover or Tom Stone for CBC and US Syndication, Jenna on Crime for CBC, and Being Erica for CBC. Will has written a feature adaptation of the best-selling novel Headhunter by Michael Slade for Bright Light Pictures. Will does live in Los Angeles, but he often comes up to Canada for work. And you can follow Will on Twitter. His Twitter is simply the spelling of his name, W-I-L-Z-M-A-K, or for our American viewers, W-I-L-Z-M-A-K. But on to my wonderful interview with Will Smack. Here we go. This is Gray, and I'm here with TV and feature writer-producer Will Smack. How are you doing, Will? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. And I, and I appreciate you taking the time today. It's actually snowed out, heavy, heavy snow in Toronto today, but not where you are. T tell us where you live. I live uh, in Los Angeles, um, uh, and it's warm and sunny today. Wow. Well, I'm sure we'd all love to be there. This is actually the, the last of our Canadian writer series. Uh, you're Canadian writer number five, and uh, I haven't cheated because you are a Canadian, though you are living in Los Angeles now. And so I think this will be of particular interest because um, the first four that we talked to were Canadian writers who are based in Canada, and you genuinely do still work in Canada, but you live in L.A., so I think that's going to be a really interesting story. But um, we won't go there first. We're going to start, as we always do, way back in the beginning. Um, so where'd you grow up, go to school, and when'd you get the writing bug? I grew up in Toronto, actually uh, just outside of Toronto in Woodbridge, and I went to high school in King City. And I went to university at York University for uh, film and television production. What year did you graduate? Uh, I actually never graduated from York. I, uh, I, I went there for three years and then, uh, this was back in, in 91. 
wow, I was I was in the York Film Program in '91. You were. Yeah, I I wonder if we met. I, I was there from '90 90 to '94. I was there from '88 to '91, '92. Wow, so I might have even seen you. Yeah, well, you'll probably remember that back then, uh, you know, we were shooting everything on 16 millimeter film and mm-hmm. editing on flatbeds, and you know, it was uh, yeah, it was it was pretty expensive. Uh, you know, we had to pay for all the film stock and everything, so it got pretty uh, expensive to go to finish it off. Mm-hmm. I stayed on at York for a while, uh, working at York at the uh, Student Advising Center. Mm-hmm. A little bit after that, I decided to just write full time. I ended up uh, submitting. Um, a script to uh, Praxis out in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And Praxis is this sort of story editing thing that they do out there where you get to go out with your script and you get to sit down with a story editor and then they, they go through the script. You do a sort of a reading with uh, actors. They kind of introduce you to the industry sort of thing. Hmm. Out there, I met Noel Baker, who wrote Hardcore Logo. Mm-hmm. And uh, he suggested that I uh, apply for the Canadian Film Center, which I did, and got into the professional screenwriting program, which I don't think they do anymore. Mm-hmm. They had the Writer's Lab and then the professional screenwriting program, which was a separate thing. It was more kind of in the, the business end of screenwriting. Mm-hmm. So I did that, and soon after that got an agent, and off I was to the races. Now, you were there around the same time that Karen Walton was? Karen was there a couple of years before me. I was there, the, the year that I was there, uh, I had, there was Tassie Cameron mm-hmm. in my class, uh, Aaron Martin, but we had a fairly uh, good class. There was, uh, Megan Martin was in there as well. So we had uh, a lot of writers coming out of that class and getting work. Mm-hmm. And as Karen Walton explained to, to our U.S. viewers, the Canadian Film Center is is very similar to uh, the American Film Institute. Yeah, it's uh, Norman Jewison started it up maybe 15, 20 years ago. It's sort of this training ground for filmmakers, uh, writers, producers, editors, directors. And it's a it's sort of the only institute of its kind in Canada, kind of high level professional institute. You did that in the late 90s, and your first IMDb credit starts sort of around 2002. So what happened in, in that uh, length of time? You can do work that doesn't get produced. I mean, uh, it's... Mm-hmm. it's one of those things where there's a lot of work out there in development. So I spent some time in development on some features, and then I got a job on a show that was in development. It was called The Aladdin Project. Mm -hmm. It eventually turned into Regenesis. Interesting. Yeah. But quite a bit later then. Uh, A couple years after that, what happened was it it was originally for CTV, Mm -hmm. uh, and we got fairly deep into the process. We were working for a few months in, in a story room and putting the show together. And then it sort of collapsed under its own weight, and uh, CTV pulled out. But then uh, a few months after that, uh, they sold it to TMN and uh, started it up again. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't involved in the restart. I, I was just in there for the first few months. Mm-hmm. And then from that, I moved. Uh, that's when I moved down to the L.A. Mm-hmm. Soon after I moved, I got a job on Tom Stone in Calgary. That's uh, an interesting jump. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we slow down a little bit? First, so, first of all, tell me a, a little bit about about the move that happened. I, I mean, I know um, for a lot of Canadian writers, um, there's major issues to do with um, green cards uh, and um, one of the the catch twenty twos with with work visas and green cards is that you have to have work lined up in order to get one, um, but you can't get the work without a green card or or some kind of work. 
permit lined up. So, so tell me about how that happened. Well, for me, it was my wife who I married back in Toronto. She uh, is a forensic scientist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, we just don't kill each other enough in Canada. So there's not a lot of work. <laughs> so uh, she said, you know, I'm going to have to apply to the U.S. And I, and I said, great, you know, L.A. first, New York second, and then mm-hmm. we'll talk after that. Uh, so she got the first job she applied to and uh, came down here on a, a what's called a TN visa. It's a uh, the, the free trade agreement has this this specialized visa for scientists. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we came down here on that. Now, the whole visa situation, it depends. If you're a film writer, it's not something you really have to worry about because you're it's more of a contract situation. You know, if you write a script. You can sell it in the U.S. without having a green card. Oh, interesting. Okay. But if you're a, a TV writer and you want to get on staff in L.A., again, it's not a problem. It's You don't really have to have the work permit before you get the job. Mm-hmm. So if you come down to L.A. and you get staffed on a show, it takes probably two, two to three weeks to get a, a, a work permit. Oh, interesting. Okay. It's going to cost you money, of course. You got to hire a lawyer and, you know, they have to sort of expedite it through the system and, and that sort of thing. But usually if you do get a staffing job in the U.S., it doesn't take very long to get a, a work visa. Okay. But if you're coming to live in L.A. and you need to work to live, uh, then, yeah, you do need to sort of get your permits and everything in order if you're going to be doing sort of a day job while you're, while you're hunting for writing work. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was, uh, I was sort of fortunate. This weird thing happens in the Canadian psyche. As soon as I changed my postal code to a U.S. zip code, my phone started ringing. <laughs> ringing from Canadian calls. The can- yeah, the Canadians start calling. It's like, wow, you've you've gone to the big leagues. Maybe we can get you while you're still cheap enough. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that's what happened. I mean, I moved down, and then from people that I knew, I got hired on to uh, Tom Stone in Calgary. Mm-hmm. Now, tell me about working in, in Calgary. It's not It's not a very big film community but there is i'm actually from calgary so uh um it's of particular interest to me but that that and that went two seasons um so that's a big commute how, how did just the logistics of that work out your average tv writing gig if you're on staff is about six months or so mm-hmm. so for me i just moved up to calgary for six months and my wife stayed down here and you know we would skype and we would and i would fly back and forth mm-hmm. on weekends and things like that but it was a sort of a six month stay in calgary for me Mm -hmm. and the you know the calgary film community is fairly robust i mean there isn't a lot of productions going on there but there are you know some very good producers out there like you know 724 you know they're doing heartland right now and Mm -hmm. there is some pretty good infrastructure built up there over the years cool and now it was while you were in calgary that you had uh, a significant meeting on the show, I was working with uh, Tassie Cameron, who uh, now is you know running uh, Rookie Blue. Mm-hmm. Back then, we were on staff at Tom Stone, and she was uh, her boyfriend was Paul Fox, who's a director, and he had come out to visit her, and she had said, you know, you two should get together because she figured that our sensibilities were fairly closely matched. Mm-hmm. And you know, we spent a night in a bar drinking and talking movies, and sure enough, you know, we were very simpatico in terms of our tastes. Paul had uh, the the film center has this thing called the Feature Film Project, where they fund low-budget features. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll give you 500000 bucks to make a feature. And, uh, you know, they were very high on Paul, and they, they wanted him to submit something, but he didn't really have anything that he could do for that kind of a budget. It's a very sort of limiting thing. Mm-hmm. So, and, and we had talked all night about, 
you know, sort of our love of Roman Polanski and, you know, some, some of those great psychological horror movies. And I said to Paul, well, you know, why don't I write you one? Why don't I write you one of those sort of Roman Polanski pot boilers and limit it to something that could be done for 500,000 bucks and mm-hmm. we'll submit it. And he said, yeah, sure, let's do that. And, you know, the deadline was quickly looming. So I, you know, after I was done my job at Tom Stone, I t- took two weeks and I wrote the script really quickly and we sent it in and they took it on as a project. And so very quickly after that, we were in production. And that feature, of course, was a thriller, The Dark Hours. And that movie turned out really well. Um, got a number of awards. Uh, tell me about how it was received. Well, actually, maybe a little bit more about the process first. Obviously, they, they, it took, uh, what, three years to get that made? Uh, actually, to get it made from start to finish was probably about a year and a half. A year and a half? As you can imagine, with a, with a $500,000 budget, it was very intimate. It was very, you know, we managed to stretch our dollars pretty well and built a set and, and shot in this cabin set. And it was a lot of fun. I, I was actually very fortunate. Paul's a very sort of generous guy and he let me hang out on set and watch what was going on. Mm-hmm. You know, screenwriters generally don't have a use on, on a feature film set. I mean, your job is to stay out of the way, basically. So mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of what I did. Hope, you know, hopefully I didn't get too much into the works, but you know, it was a fun time. We had a great time shooting that. And then, uh, you know, we sent it out to festivals around the world and it started getting some attention and getting some awards. And it turned out on the festival circuit, it turned out great. Mm-hmm. And so that was 2005 that it hit the festival circuit. Yeah. 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 And so, um, what happened after that? Did you do more features or, or did you start looking back towards television? Well, the, the thing is, you know, if you're a writer in Canada, you, it's pretty tough to focus on just one. Mm-hmm. You know, in the feature world, you don't really get those big, huge paydays that you do in Hollywood. The budgets just don't support it. And, and the process takes so long, usually, uh, to make a feature in Canada. I mean, if it's two years, it's short. Mm-hmm. So you can't, it's hard to sustain a career and a living just doing features. Mm-hmm. So you have to sort of bounce back and forth between features and television if you want to keep working. Mm -hmm. So I would bounce back and forth, basically. When I wasn't working on a TV show, I would be writing a feature. I I, I wrote a few features for hire that haven't been produced yet, but, uh, you know, I got paid for them. So Mm -hmm. I managed to keep food on the table while I was uh, waiting to get some TV work. And now was that uh, selling to Canadian producers only, or was that also uh, making some sales in in Los Angeles? Uh, These were uh, Canadian producers. Mm -hmm. But, you know, producers that had very good connection to LA. Uh, one was Bright Light Pictures who had done White Noise and, you know, they do all the Yui Bowl movies and, uh, so that, you know, they have a fairly good connection to Los Angeles and getting co-productions, international co-productions together. Mm-hmm. You, you might think that they're separate worlds, but more and more they're becoming intertwined because even in Hollywood, they're, they're constantly looking for new sources of financing. Mm-hmm. When they heard that the Canadian government's giving out money, they, they descend, right? They try and get <laughs> co-productions together and they try and, you know, get money. And so you know, these days, film, uh, especially independent films and smaller budget films go to multiple, multiple sources and countries to get, uh, to get their budgets together. Mm-hmm. So you worked on, um, being Erica in 2009. Is there anything that IMDb is missing? Uh, in between those two times, I, other than your uh, unproduced uh, features, uh, most of the stuff that I did in between was uh, development work and uh, development on TV shows, development on features, that sort of thing. 
Mm-hmm. So then ta- talk to me about Being Erica. Being Erica is um, one of Canada's successful exports. I know uh, it's very popular in Germany, of, of, of all places, and um, uh, and a great show. Um, so you did one season of, of Being Erica as executive story editor and writer? Yeah, I was on I was on that for about uh, two or three months right at the beginning uh, mm-hmm. when we were trying to sort of figure out what the show is. Mm-hmm. The pilot had already been shot. You know, the story room uh, was basically trying to figure out the series. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you can imagine, with something like being Erica that has that fantasy element to it, you sort of have to figure out the rules of the road before you proceed. Mm-hmm. So a lot of time was spent on trying to figure out what is this relationship between the her and the doctor what are the limitations of this traveling back and forth in time what are the rules of that and then we spent a lot of time breaking scripts and uh, breaking stories and trying to figure out the sort of the arc of the series the character arcs and then each episode trying to figure out what each episode is about mm-hmm. so I, I was there for the sort of the beginning of that mm-hmm. and uh and then in between there and the listener, I imagine you did some more development work. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a, a lot of your income comes from stuff that just doesn't hit the screen or hasn't hit the screen yet. Uh, you get paid to write and get scripts out there. Scripts are the thing that gets everything set in motion. So producers will pay you to write scripts, and you know, and th- th- that's the sort of key to get the rest of the financing in place. So, but it's a long process, and you write a lot of this stuff. And some of it gets stuck in development hell. Some of it manages its way out. It's like lizards crawling out of the swamp and trying to turn into human beings. <laughs> well, it, and you know, it's a it's a funny thing because I don't know how it's communicated, but from the outside looking in, and for people who want to break in, there's this idea that you, when you're when you sell a feature, you just get this. It's like you you, you picture in the contest how they have this giant check. Um, that there's this giant check and all of a sudden you, you live in this huge house and, and you only do stuff that billions of people see. And the reality is that there are a lot of people working in features that, I mean, there, there's people who might work for 50, 15 or 20 years and never even have a single credit on IMDb. And making a very good living at it. That's the thing. I mean, uh, I've, I, I have friends who are writers down here who have made uh, scads of money. Uh, but still haven't had one frame of film shot of anything they've written. Well, it's a weird thing, but it happens, and you know that's the industry. And 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 with credit arbitration, um, maybe if it is shot, they weren't even credited. That can happen too. Down, especially in the feature world down here, writers are t- tend to be regarded as interchangeable. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of that that goes on, where you you know you do a lot of work and they pay you, but you don't get the credits. Mm-hmm. And now, um, at what point did you write Headhunter? Headhunter was, uh, I wrote that for uh, a Bright Light. It was a book adaptation of uh, uh, Michael Slade's uh, first novel mm-hmm. that's, I think, 30-some-odd years old now. He's, and he's turned that uh, into an entire series of novels. I think there's a, at least a dozen of them. And they're all based on the RCMP in Vancouver and this sort of special serial killer hunting unit mm-hmm. within the ERCMP. And it's a very successful sort of uh, horror police procedural series. And so uh, Bright Light Pictures in Vancouver uh, hired me to uh, write the adaptation for it, mm-hmm. which is very funny because I remember reading the book 30 some odd years ago and ha- and I had it on my shelf when they called and they, 
they had seen the dark hours and called me up and asked me if I could take a look at the book. And I said, well, I've, I've got it right here on my shelf. I don't need to take a look at it. I can talk pretty extensively about it. And the thing I loved about it was that it takes a real sort of view of the RCMP as cops rather than that sort of cartoonish, you know, guys running around in, in the red surge and saving damsels from train tracks and things like that. It was, a, you know, they, the books treat the RCMP as a, as real cops. And mm-hmm. They talk like real cops and they act like real cops. And I'd never seen that before. Uh, when I first read the book, I'd never seen Canadian cops be treated that way. And it really, it was really intriguing. So mm-hmm. it was great fun to write that. Well, tell me a little bit about what's your process as, as you go to adapt a book. I usually read the book as a reader, not as an eye towards adaptation, but just as a reader and trying to get my initial visceral emotional response to the material. Mm-hmm. And then uh, what I try and do is keep that alive the process and uh, that's the hardest thing to do is try and understand what the spirit of the book is mm-hmm. and keep that alive because you're going to do a million changes to it you're going to compress you're going to you know there's so much more that goes into a novel that can possibly go into a you know an hour and a half long film so as you're compressing as you're changing things as you're adjusting characters and as you're adjusting the story trying to keep that initial emotional response that you had to the material to begin with alive and at the forefront is is the thing that's most important to me Mm -hmm. i usually like to talk to the author okay i know a lot of screenwriters don't they just want to sort of have the material and work on it on their own but i i do like to talk to the author i do like to involve them in the process Mm -hmm. you know it's their baby right it's their work and i i want to you know respect that as much as possible and uh, let them know that I respect that and, and get, you know, get them on board for any sort of changes or things like that that need to be done. Mm-hmm. Would you even go as far as sending them a draft or or, um, or is it more just questions as, as things go? Well, you know, sending drafts and things like that, that's not really up to the writer. That's up to the producers. Mm-hmm. In terms of uh, initially writing the thing, yeah, talking to them about what's important to them for the story. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I do with myself as well. When you, when you write a script, it's, you know, clearly that you're going to get notes, it's going to change. As more people get involved with the project, you know, it tends to drift in various directions. But as a writer, when you when you write it, you can't be prissy and you can't be precious about it. But you do have to sort of keep the core of the story, the the part of the story that's important to you. Mm-hmm. You've got to sort of protect that. So when it comes to notes and changes and things like that, you, you know, you should always be open to all the notes and changes. Anything that's going to make it better is great. But, you know, there is something that makes the story important to you. Mm-hmm. That's sort of what you have to protect. And I got that from doing adaptations, from understanding that, from being empathetic with the original author mm-hmm. and understanding that there is a core importance to the story for them and trying to understand what that is. And there's a core importance to the story for me on any script that I write. And, and I try and protect that. Mm-hmm. And, and actually some might say, and, and I think it's, it's fair to, to mention this, that uh, your perspective as a reader too is also important um, in the sense that um, the author may have something that they they're envisioning as they write it, but ultimately it's a, it's a reader's medium that once you read it and make that picture in your head, it can be different than what they intend. So you've, you've got to hold that, um, pretty importantly as well. 
Yeah, and and there's and and there's also the thing that makes it if it's a popular book, it's, there's also the thing that everybody latches on to. Mm-hmm. And fans of books are very protective. They're you know, <laughs> get on, especially in the internet age where they all talk to each other. So it's like as soon as they hear you're adapting something, uh, you can get on the message boards, and boy oh boy, they have their opinions on what to keep and what not to keep, and uh, and don't you dare change this. And you know, they they're very very protective. Mm-hmm. Wow. And um, that's about it. You know, it's a hiring season is coming up here in L.A. And so, you know, I'm going to be doing the the water bottle tour, as I like to call it, where you <laughs> go from, from studios to networks to shows and collect bottles of water and spread your wares on the table. Mm-hmm. Very, very cool. And, and are you also involved in in pilots? Yes, I've I've written uh, I've written pilots, and you know the pilot writing is sort of you 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 write it and you send it out, and you know hopefully somebody latches onto it. There's this sort of discussion going on amongst screenwriters for television: what to write as samples. You know, mm-hmm. do you write a spec of a show, or do you write an original pilot? And I tend to fall into the camp of write an original pilot. Mm-hmm. It's something that really gets your voice out there. Mm-hmm. It gets it, it differentiates you from everybody else. And it's also something you can maybe sell, right? So it's if you write a spec of, uh, you know, The Good Wife or Six Feet Under or whatever, it, it's only a sample. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's a, you know, it's a dead document. So, uh, but if you write an original pilot, you can use it as a sample and you can also potentially sell it. So it's got dual purposes. Mm-hmm. And so what, what would you say your voice is? I know that you've, in, in your original material, at least the, the I mean, Dark Hours and, and, some of the conversations that uh, that you had, it looks like um, darker sort of horror type stuff is is near and dear to your heart. But but what else? What like the 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 samples that you send out as pilots? Um, what what's that kind of voice for you? If I was going to define it, I'm I'm very interested in good people doing bad things and bad people doing good things. Mm-hmm. That's something that resonates for me, and I tend to gravitate strongly towards uh, crime dramas mm-hmm. for television i write a lot of police crime drama type stuff mm-hmm. i enjoy that world i like the sort of the murky morality of all that mm-hmm. and th- i tend to focus on that great you know um why don't we just backtrack a little bit in and tell tell me about um how you learned your craft i, I mean i know that you went to york university uh, in the early '90s, in the Canadian Film Center. But outside of that, um, are there are you a, a book reader in terms of books about screenwriting and TV writing? Are you of the camp of just do it, or or what would you say? I'm actually of the just do it camp. I I don't have a very favorable view of how to books, screenwriting books. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of them. I actually think that in a lot of ways they've sort of ruined screenwriting. And are you in particular talking about structuralizing everything? Screenplay by Sid Field came out in what mid '80s, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what ended up happening was there's this. It began to homogenize storytelling. If you look at you know the films that were coming out in the '70s and before, there was there was sort of this sort of exciting experimentation going on and interesting stories. Uh, and then all of a sudden it just all became about the hero's journey and the three act structure and, uh, you know, having your exciting incident on page 20 and this, and, you know, it, it all became sort of very homogenous. Movies were starting to all feel the same. I think part of that is because, you know, screenwriters were reading these books and thinking that that's the only way to 
write a story, mm-hmm. but also because producers and studios and uh, executives read these books and thought, well, now I know how to write a screenplay. <laughs> you know, now I know how to how, what screenplays need, what stories need to be like in Hollywood. And it became this sort of funnel effect where everything started being the same. And it's not, you know, you, you look at the world cinema, there's a there's a, a lot of ways to tell a story. And, you know, three-act structure isn't the only way to do it. And, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of exciting storytelling out there that doesn't fit that model and and i think it's a it's a disservice to the writing to the work i believe that writers should you know write with passion and not so much with this sort of intellectualized idea of what structure needs to be Mm -hmm. i'm more of a square peg in a round hole kind of guy (laughs) now now how i mean that that does definitely work in features and and uh and definitely would play to your advantage. And, and, and I know that there are, um, a number who would say that, that, um, e- even in the book, I think about Robert McKee who, who says, um, learn the structure and then you can, you can decide not to use it. <laughs> um, but, uh, what about TV? TV by nature, ha- unless you're talking about HBO, um, has very rigid structure, structural elements with commercials built in. Um, it, how, how do you find writing for that? For commercial television, where you have to sort of build in this sort of five act, now it's a five. Before it used to used to have a lot more screen time in, in an episode. Now they've sort of narrowed it down to, you know, five breaks per episode. So you've got a very limited amount of time, mm-hmm. uh, you know, five or six minutes to build a scene, to to build to a to a moment, and then to turn it at the end so that people stay through the commercials. So. It's a very highly tuned, but also a very limiting way to do it. Mm-hmm. I think part of the reason why people who like story in television gravitate towards cable, places like AMC and FX and HBO and Showtime, uh, because they don't have those limitations. Mm-hmm. And they can try different things out. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the whole thing about TV writing is just sustainability. In a feature script, it's about a beginning, a middle, and an end, and telling a story cohesively in, in an hour and a half. Whereas in television, it's about setting up a repeatable product. Mm-hmm. You set up a basic tension, a, a basic vibration of the show, and then you bounce back and forth off of that. And the whole goal there is to keep it going as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Unless, you know, you're writing Lost and, you know, you've got this, <laughs> you've got this end in mind. And, yeah. Uh, but for most of television, it's just setting up that basic tension of the show mm-hmm. and then repeating it over and over and over again. Very, very cool. What would your advice be to somebody who wants to break in? And this could be Canadian or or American. You know, I think one of the most important things that, that you have to do when you're just starting out is to find your peer group. Mm-hmm. I think you really have to find the people that are in the same situation that you're in. The writers that are just starting out like you are. The directors that are just starting out like you are. The editors, the actors. Every You know, there's this group of people out there that are in the same boat as you are. And I think your job at the beginning is to find the ones that you share sensibilities with, that you share tastes with, that you that, that you're simpatico with, mm-hmm. and stick to them. You know, if you've got this idea that you're on your own and you just have to go out and find a job, it's going to be a tough road because the fact of the matter is, it's a social industry. It's an industry where word of mouth means a lot, and who you know means a lot. Mm-hmm. So running out there and trying to get to know all the the current you know showrunners and executives is 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 tough because that's what everybody's doing. Mm-hmm. 
But if you focus on the people that you're with in your peer group, rising tide floats all boats. So as one of your friends gets a job and they know that you're simpatico with them and they respect your work and uh, that's how you get work. Hmm. Every job that I've ever gotten in the industry is from people that know me and from people that I've known for years and have read my work. You know, the, the hardest thing for you to do is to get somebody to read your work. Yeah. But not amongst your peer group because they're all willing to help. Uh, you know, when I started out, this was back in 92, nine, uh, 93, there was an online screenwriting group where we just sort of shared scripts and, and uh, commented on each other's scripts. You know, I made two, a couple of friends from that that are still friends today, and they're working Hollywood writers, and we sort of help each other out as, as, as we can. And the same thing holds true in television. When you're on a show and you're in the story department, and if there's a, a spot that opens up, the first thing that the, everybody does is says, well, who do you know? Who do you know that can do this? Mm -hmm. You go through your Rolodex in your head of, of the people that you know can do this and the ones you, re you respect and the ones that you, that you know are available and you, and you start making phone calls. That's the first step usually. Well, that is uh, great advice. And you know what? Uh, I don't think anybody has said it quite that way on the podcast so far. Um, people talk about networking, but I like the idea of finding people who have common interests and, and who are simpatico with you well they're going to be your strongest advocates mm -hmm. if you share tastes they'll be the ones to help you out the most and also especially for writers don't just hang out with other writers i mean there's a lot of directors out there that are hungry and not all of them are auteurs and you know writing their own stuff they they need writers just as much as writers need directors and in hollywood the important thing is actors mm -hmm. because they're the that uh, get the money flowing. So, I mean, it's, you know, get to know these people and let them know you. Let them know what you're interested in, what your voice is. Mm -hmm. There's a certain amount of luck involved in all of this, of course. But, you know, eventually, if you're good enough and if you're talented enough and if you're prepared, when an opportunity hits, you'll be ready for it. Very, very cool. Well, that is a great place to end up. Okay. Well, I so much appreciate your time, Will, and uh, best of luck to you. Um, on your feature and TV work, and hopefully I'll meet you in Canada sometime soon. Okay, thanks. Uh, my, my pleasure. And that was my interview with Will's Mac. And so you can look for his work uh, on The Listener is, is currently airing, and also watch for his features. I'm sure they're going to be coming soon. You can follow Will, as I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, on Twitter, Will's Mac, that's W I L. Z or Z M A K is how you follow him on Twitter. And of course you can follow me on Twitter at Gray Jones and you would know about Will's Twitter address. If you uh, access the TV writer Twitter database with over 500 writers, go to tvwriterpodcast.com and you can find that Twitter database there. Want to remind you about our partner script magazine. You can always get lots of great writing resources there. And I encourage you to check out their digital subscriptions with free access to, I think it's about seven years of back issues now. A tremendous, tremendous resource that is very inexpensive. Go to scriptmag.com to find out about all of those things. So next time, I'm so excited that we're going to have an interview with Ellen Sandler. Get your questions in by March 30th if you can, and definitely on April 4th, watch for that interview. I'm sure it's going to be a good one. Until next time, have a great writing week. Bye-bye. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web. 
and by Final Draft scriptwriting software, the entertainment industry standard for scriptwriting worldwide. <laughs>